0: Last week, we witnessed the most incredible transformation in the life of our current focus, the man named Joseph. After being taken from his homeland and sold as a slave in Egypt at the age of 17, he ended up in Potiphar's house. After being falsely accused of attempted rape by Potiphar's wife, he ended up in prison. After Pharaoh needed two dreams interpreted, Joseph ended up being the only one who could give Pharaoh the answers he was seeking and revealed that Egypt would experience seven years of plenty before seven years of catastrophic Famine. But Joseph didn't stop there. He immediately proceeded to instruct Pharaoh as to what he should do with this information that he had just been given by God. And Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph that he made him the second most important man in all of Egypt, essentially adopting him as his son and instructing everyone in the kingdom to do as Joseph instructed. So Joseph stored for the next seven years, the years of plenty, and then sold during the seven years of famine. The result was that Egypt was doing more than fine during the famine. They were the only place in the Middle East, possibly the world, where one could buy food. And under Joseph's leadership. Egypt rose to become the wealthiest and most powerful nation on earth. It's a remarkable transformation. In one day, Joseph rose from the prison to the palace, pointing, of course, to our Lord Jesus, who underwent a far more incredible transformation, rising from death all the way to the throne of heaven. Remember that Joseph's life is a picture of Jesus. Joseph's life points ahead prophetically to the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So as we make our way through the text, be on the lookout for similarities between the two. Joseph begins to rule over Egypt at the age of 30, just as Jesus began his earthly ministry at the age of 30. We know that as we begin chapter 42 today, the seven years of plenty are over, and we are well into the seven years of famine, meaning that Joseph is now at least 37 years old and he's been ruling over Egypt for at least seven years by this time. And as we begin, our camera pans all the way back to Hebron, the home of Joseph's father, Jacob, his full brother, Benjamin, and his 10 half-brothers, the one who sold him into slavery in Egypt. It's the first time we're checking in on them in 20 Years, and we find that this famine is affecting them too as we jump in in verse one. It says, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, when he heard about it, Jacob said to his sons, underline this question here, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there. And then underline that we may live and not die. They're out of ideas, and Jacob, the patriarch, the big papa of the family, says to his boys, stop sitting around and looking at each other. The answer that we're looking for isn't going to be found in any of us. You know what we need to do. There's only one place in the world where we can get food, so go get it before we die. What a setup. What an incredible turn of events because they have no idea who is running the nation of Egypt. Jacob thinks Joseph is dead. His brothers think he probably died years ago as a slave in Egypt building the pyramids or something like that. They have no idea, no idea. As we've talked about before, Joseph's 10 half-brothers are a prophetic picture of Israel, the Jewish people, as well as the law, all the commandments and instructions and rituals found in the Old Testament. And the law is almost always what is being represented when the number 10 shows up in Scripture. And what Jacob tells them is that they're not going to find what they're looking for. They're not going to find the answer. They're not going to find salvation, deliverance, life. They're not going to find it by looking at each other. In other words, they're not going to find the answer to the problem of sin by looking at each other and coming up with new laws and new interpretations and new ceremonies and new rituals to try and meet God's standards The law is not the answer and if they don't realize this, they're going to die. That's what's going on as Jacob says, stop looking at each other, go to the one place that has food or we're going to die. Their only hope is to go to the one who has bread, Joseph, even though they don't know who he is yet. Now think with me for a moment here. Let's think about the prophetic picture that might be emerging in our story today. It's going to take a seven year famine. It's going to take seven years of difficulty and desperation to get the house of Jacob to come to Joseph for bread. But they have no idea who Joseph is. They think he's dead. And the last time they saw him, he was just one of them a brother, a son, a regular guy. But in reality, he's now royalty. He is now ruling and reigning. So what's the picture that might be emerging here prophetically? The Jews, God's chosen people, rejected Jesus just as Joseph's brothers rejected him. They think Jesus is just an ordinary man and they think Jesus is dead. But the truth is, Jesus is alive and he's ruling and reigning. Shortly after the church is raptured in the future, a seven-year time period is going to begin. You'll be familiar with this if you've been with us through our study of Revelation or the book of Daniel. It's known in the Bible as the 70th week of Daniel. If you want to know why, go listen to the Daniel series on the website. It's worth your time. And in this seven-year period, there's also going to be a front half, three and a half years of prosperity and plenty, followed by three and a half years of hell on earth. That three and a half years of hell on earth is what's known in scripture as the great tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble. And it's going to be brutal. Well, how brutal? Zechariah tells us that two out of every three Jews will be killed during those three and a half years. But as a result of that suffering, the Bible tells us the hard-heartedness of the Jews will be broken. They will cry out to God for deliverance and that's when Jesus will appear to them and they will see that not only is he alive, but he is ruling and reigning as king and Jesus will save them. He will deliver them and their relationship with God will be restored. Now when you remember that Joseph's life is unfolding around 1,500 years before Jesus was even born. When you realize that it was recorded more than 1,000 years before Jesus was born, it should begin to hit you just how incredible And detailed, this prophetic imagery is. It's it's really astounding because we can look at it as though it was just written at the same time that Jesus was written about in the Gospels. It wasn't. There's more than a thousand years separating the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus from when this was written and recorded by Moses. Then we read in verse 3 So Joseph's 10 underlined 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Again, 10 represents the law in scripture. And what the law wants to do, the law wants to try and buy salvation. It wants to try and buy deliverance. And what's the problem with that? You can't buy salvation. You can't buy it. The price of salvation is a life lived perfectly without sin, not starting today for your whole life. In other words, everyone here has already blown it. You got no chance of paying the price of salvation on your own. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot pay the price of salvation. You can't buy it but the wonderful news about salvation is what? That it's available as the gift of God. Does God have the provisions to give me salvation though? Does he have enough to take care of everything I've done? I mean, how big is God's salvation? How much can it cover? In this whole story, if you haven't picked up on it yet, bread and grain that Joseph has stored up is the picture of salvation. It's what they're coming to try and buy. They're not gonna be able to buy it. But the question is, how big is God's salvation? In the previous chapter, we were told about the amount of grain that Joseph, the picture of Jesus, had in his storehouses. It's on your outlines. In Genesis 41, 49, the amount he has is described as being as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable, immeasurable. Would you write this down? The saving power of Jesus is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. And I just love that about the Lord. I love that about him. Keep all that in mind as as this picture keeps unfolding in our story. Keep an eye out for just how many times the word buy is going to pop up in the text. Uh, Joseph's 10 half-brothers are a picture of Israel. Joseph is a picture of Jesus. And as we shall see, even though they're going to try and buy grain, buy salvation, Joseph will never take their money. He'll never take their money. Verse four, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin With his brothers, for he said, Lest some calamity befall him. The King James Version actually renders Jacob's words more accurately. It records him as saying, Lest peradventure mischief befall him. And so what's being implied here is that Jacob had a suspicion that Joseph's half brothers may have played a role in what he thought was Joseph's death. He thought they might have had something to do with it. He would have noticed how jealous they had been of Joseph. Benjamin was the full brother of Joseph. Why? Because they shared the same mother. They were both sons of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, the only two sons of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. So there's no doubt that after Joseph died, or so they thought, Benjamin moved into that role of becoming the favored son. And we can safely assume that Joseph's 10 half-brothers, Benjamin's 10 half-brothers as well, hated and resented and were jealous of Benjamin for being dad's favorite, just as Joseph had been. And so Jacob thinks they might try and do to Benjamin whatever they did to Joseph more than 20 years earlier. Verse 5, and the sons of Israel, that's the 10 half-brothers, went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan, that's where they were living. Verse 6, now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came, and and then underlined bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. And no matter how I describe it to you, we cannot possibly imagine what that moment would have been like. Joseph's brothers don't recognize him, but we'll see that he recognizes them over 20 years later, they're now right in front of him and they're bowing before him with their faces to the earth. His brothers didn't recognize him just as the Jews did not recognize Jesus as their Messiah when he came to them. And you have to remember just how powerful Joseph was when they said, we'd like to buy some grain so our family doesn't starve to death. He could have just said, nah, And that would have been it. No protest, no anything like that. Just just get him out of my sight. Or he could have said, no, and actually what I'm gonna do is have each of you thrown into a pit in the desert. You know, the kind that you die in because you can't climb out. And we'll just see how long it takes each of you to die. See who can hold out the longest. He could have done that, but he doesn't. He's a good dude. He's not like you and me. Verse seven, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them. Joseph saw his brothers. He knew his brothers, but he hid himself from his brothers. He felt great love for his brothers, but he didn't make himself known to his brothers. He chose to speak a different language to his brothers, the language of the Egyptians. And all of that is interesting because as we keep saying, Joseph's brothers speak of Israel. Joseph is a picture of Jesus. And for the past almost 2,000 years, Jesus has looked on the Jewish people with compassion because he cares deeply about them. But he has hidden himself from them. Romans 11.25 says that blindness in part has happened to Israel. As a consequence for rejecting Jesus when he came to them almost 2,000 years ago, God's focus shifted to you and I, the Gentiles, and Israel has been made for the time being unable to recognize Jesus because they would not receive Jesus. They now cannot receive Jesus. But the Bible also tells us that God has always kept for himself a remnant of Jews, a small group of Jewish people who do receive Jesus. That means for the past 2,000 years, there has always been a small group scattered across the earth of ethnic Jews who did receive Jesus. The 12 disciples would be an example of the remnant. But as a people, generally, 99% of the time, the Jews cannot and do not recognize Jesus. You can show them all the Old Testament messianic prophecies and explain how they were all fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth and they'll just look at you like you're speaking gibberish. Jesus has withdrawn from the Jewish people because they don't want him. Does he still love them? Absolutely. Does he still have future plans for them? You bet. Is he watching over and protecting them until that time? Always, always. And when Jesus finally reveals himself to the Jewish people, Zacharias says they'll ask him where he got those wounds and he'll reply, in the house of my friends. Not in the house of you jerks, in the house of my friends. He's not done with them, not by a long shot. Joseph's brothers thought that he couldn't understand them because he was speaking a different language. Do you know that to this day, many Jews feel that one of the clearest evidences against Jesus being the legitimate Messiah is the fact that the New Testament isn't in their language? What's the language of the New Testament? It's, it's Greek. It's literally Greek to them. And they find the idea of the Jewish Messiah's message being recorded in a Gentile language to be Ridiculous, unacceptable, too strange. Getting back to verse 7, we read, He acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly, or He spoke harshly to them. Now, why would Joseph speak roughly to his brothers? I mean, I get it from the human angle. There's the whole, You tried to kill me and sold me as a slave to Egypt thing. That could have something to do with it. But if he's a picture of Jesus, why would Joseph speak roughly to his brothers? It's because they need to repent. They need to repent. Why does Jesus speak roughly to any person before they're saved? Why does Jesus convict a person of sin? And they have to deal with beginning to see just how, how broken and messed up and filthy they are. Why, why did we have to go through that process of being treated roughly? Because a person cannot be saved until they see that they need saving. You can throw a drowning person a life preserver, but if they don't think they're drowning, they're not going to take it. It's not going to help anything if they say, I'm not drowning, and you say, Well, I don't want to offend you. I mean, you clearly are, but I don't want to offend your sensibilities, so I'm not going to keep telling you that you're drowning. They have to understand they're drowning before they'll ask for help. You can't be saved by the Lord until you recognize your need for the Lord. The Bible says the purpose of the law was to be a rough tutor, like a tough schoolmaster, a tough principal. Its job was to take us to school by educating us about how sinful we are. We're supposed to look at the law and all the commands in the Old Testament and say, my goodness, I live my life a long, long way from those things. I do not do a good job of keeping all those commands. And we're supposed to recognize that, therefore, there's no way we can meet God's standards on our own by just trying to live a good life. Why does it have to work that way? Because Jesus told us about the way that we're wired. He said that when we think we've only needed to be forgiven a little bit by God, we'll love God a little bit. A little bit. But when we've had our eyes open to see just how much we've been forgiven, how much we've been forgiven of by God, well then, we will love God much. And you know what? It's true. It's true. It's the reason I love the Lord so much. Because he's allowed me to see how much he's forgiven me for. How much I need him. And the result is I love him more for it. Would you write this down? Our understanding of how much we've been forgiven affects how much we love Jesus. Our understanding of how much we've been forgiven affects how much we love Jesus. Joseph is going to be harsh with his brothers initially, but it's not for the purpose of being mean or for revenge. It's to lead them to repentance. It's to move them toward having their eyes opened to realize who they really are, how they've been living, how they've mistreated and abused Joseph. We keep reading, Then he, Joseph, said to them, Where do you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. So, and then underline, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. Can you imagine how emotionally overwhelming that would have been as as the memories come flooding into Joseph's mind and he remembers them teasing him and verbally abusing him when he told him about these dreams and, and now it's happening right in front of him. 20 years later, can you imagine how overpowered Joseph would have been by a sense of awe at how much the hand of God was on his life that throughout this whole journey through all the ups and downs across all the distance and all the changes in life God's word stay true and came to pass would have been incredible and he said to them you are spies you've come to see the nakedness the exposed parts of the land he's saying you've come to Egypt so that you can plan a military attack from Canaan to steal food Verse 10, and they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Whoa, 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 whoa. Honest men? Honest men? Ironically, they're being dishonest in calling themselves honest men. And Joseph could have testified himself right there and then to the dishonesty of their claim but you know what in, in our fleshly fallen condition we have a tendency to look at ourselves that way don't we to overlook our own faults and our own sinfulness and say well I'm, I'm not that bad I'm not as bad as him I'm not as bad as her or those people well, I'm not that bad I'm I'm an honest man I'm a good guy And that's why God has to work conviction in our lives. That's why he has to treat us roughly. That's why he's treating the Jews roughly today. We don't naturally recognize the truth about ourselves. And it's why this whole ordeal is going to unfold in the life of Joseph's half-brothers. Joseph and the Lord have to show them they're not honest men, which is how they see themselves at this point. Verse 12 But he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. In fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. We're family guys, your highness, just a a wholesome group of honest boys from Canaan, minus one who's back with our father and minus another one for reasons that aren't important. You'll notice the the lack of detail in that last line, one is um, no more. Joseph is thinking, I think you mean, and one we sold as a slave to be taken down to Egypt and die. But sure, we can go with your version. And Joseph's ears also perk up at the news that his full brother, Benjamin, is alive. The timeline's a little complicated to figure out precisely, but in all likelihood, Benjamin was just a toddler when Joseph was sold into slavery, and so he's likely overjoyed to find that his one full brother is alive, and he's probably immediately concerned for his well-being and safety, especially from these ten half-brothers. Not only was Benjamin his full brother, he was the only brother who hadn't been a part of the conspiracy to get rid of Joseph. Joseph knew that Benjamin would accept him. And just as we talked about, there's always been a remnant of the Jews, a small group who do receive Jesus. And that's who Benjamin is a picture of here. He's a picture of the Jewish remnant who were not part of the group, the mass that will reject Jesus. And fun fact the Apostle Paul tells us more than once in his epistles that he was a member of what tribe? Tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin. He's a part of the remnant, the Apostle Paul, obviously. Verse 14, "'But Joseph said to them, "'It is as I spoke to you, saying, "'You are spies. "'In this manner you shall be tested.'" This is how we'll find out if you're telling the truth. "'By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place "'unless your youngest brother comes here. "'Send one of you, and let him bring your brother, "'and you shall be kept. "'You'll be bound in prison, "'that your words may be tested "'to see whether there's any truth in you, "'or else by the life of Pharaoh, "'surely you are spies.'" So we put them all together in prison for how long? For three days, three days. After the reigns of King David and King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split, if you know your Old Testament history, and pretty much quickly collapsed and was conquered. Around the year 1000 BC was the last time that Israel was a unified, free nation that worshiped God and had the presence of God among them. It's been since 1000 B.C. that that hasn't happened. They've had a temple for part of history. They've worshiped God for part of that history. But they've never been a free, unified nation and worshiping the living God at the same time since 1000 B.C. And some scholars point out a parallel between the fact that it's been almost 3,000 years, around 3,000 years since Israel was last truly free and worshiping God and the three days that Joseph's ten half-brothers will spend in prison. Because the Bible says that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Joseph's ten half-brothers, who are a picture of the law in Israel, are put in prison for three days by Joseph. And after those three days, we're going to see they will repent, and they'll learn the lesson that they can't buy bread. It's a gift from Joseph, and things will be put into play that will result in Joseph revealing himself to them and being gloriously reunited with them. But it's all gonna happen after they've spent three days in prison, and we're right around the 3,000-year mark now of the Jewish people being in prison, so to speak. And if you come here regularly, you know we believe that things are in motion towards that third day being over and God being reunited with the Jewish people. Israel has become a nation again. Things are in motion. God's plan for the Jewish people is on track. Verse 18, then Joseph said to them, and again, it's being redundant because it wants to draw our attention to it. He said to them, the third day, do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house. I'll just keep one of you now. But you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. That's good motivation. I'm gonna start using that line with my kids. Clean your rooms that you shall not die. I'm just gonna start throwing that on, onto the end of all my instructions. And they did so, verse 21. Then they said to one another, underline this, We are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, for this reason, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, did I not speak to you, saying, do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, for this reason, behold, his blood is now required of us. So this is the moment. They're confessing their guilt that they were wrong to do that. And you have to love Reuben, who still 20 years later isn't going to turn down a perfectly good opportunity to say, I told you so. And he tells his brothers, notice his words here, that his blood is now required of us. What did the Jewish people cry out after Pontius Pilate washed his hands of dealing with Jesus? They cried out, his blood be on us. And our children. Verse 23, but they did not know that Joseph understood them. For he spoke to them through an interpreter. Joseph hears everything they're saying. He hears them admit their guilt and own it. But he was using an interpreter to throw them off to make sure they wouldn't pick up on the fact that he could understand everything they're saying. Verse 24, and he turned himself away from them and wept. He wept, he wept. What did Jesus do over the city of Jerusalem? Representative of the Jewish people, he he wept over Jerusalem. In Matthew 23, it's on your outlines, we read that Jesus cried out, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they're admitting their guilt, but they don't yet know who Joseph really is. They don't know the identity of their savior. So back to our story. Then he, Joseph, he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. The name Simeon literally means hearing with acceptance. And so here we have a picture of the Jews' ability to hear and understand being bound up by Joseph. Just as the Lord has bound up the ability of the Jews to hear and understand the gospel. So they're in this place where where they're guilty. There's no way around it, but their hearing and acceptance has been bound up. And after Joseph has bound up Simeon, where are his brothers sent? Back to the promised land, back to Israel, just as Israel became a nation again in May of 1948. But again, their understanding is still bound up, even though they're back in the land, When Jesus was asked why he started teaching in parables, remember he said, it's to fulfill the prophecy of the prophet Isaiah who wrote, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Jesus was saying, speaking of the Jews, I'm not gonna overpower your will. I'm going to speak in parables so that those who don't want to understand won't be able to. And those who want to understand will be able to. We keep reading in verse 25. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain to restore every man's money to his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, they sank and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? As we mentioned earlier, Joseph can't take their money. He's a picture of Jesus. His brothers are pictures of Israel and the law. Grain is a picture of salvation, and salvation cannot be purchased. It cannot be bought. It can only be found in Jesus, who gives it freely. But in our story, the brothers panic because they realize now it looks like they've stolen grain from the ruler of Egypt, from Pharaoh himself. And There's also an allusion here to to God's financial blessing on the Jewish people which has remained in place even while they're in this hardened state unable to hear and understand. The Jews are famous or should I say more accurately infamous for being financially prosperous. Even when I was a kid my dad told me, you ever start a business if you can go into business with a Jewish dude do it. Just do it. I I remember my dad telling me that. He's like everything's going to work out if you can get into business with a Jewish dude. And the The Jewish people have also been hated for the past 2,000 years for being financially prosperous. It was one of the main causes of the Holocaust. Germany, if you study your history, was impoverished because of the reparations they had to pay after World War I, and yet even in that environment, the Jews in Germany were financially prosperous, and Hitler rallied the frustration of the German people into hatred toward the Jews and made them a scapegoat. Same thing happened in Spain in the Middle Ages and the Jews ended up being told to flee for their lives from Spain or stay and be killed and have everything they owned confiscated. It's caused them to be the target of jealousy and persecution since they were scattered across the earth in the diaspora of the first century AD. Verse 29, then they went to Jacob, the ten brothers did, their father in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened to them saying, The man who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, we're honest men, we're not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more and the youngest is with us, our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country said to us, by this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your household and be gone and bring your youngest brother to me so I shall know that you are not spies but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you and you may trade in the land. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack and when they and their father saw the bundles of money they were afraid and Jacob their father said to them, you have bereaved me, Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Have you ever felt that way? You ever looked at your life and felt like you could just list off a whole bunch of circumstances and say, all these things are against me? I won't make you answer. I'll just say, me too. But that's normal. That's normal. But it's also a belief that we're supposed to grow out of. It's a place that as we mature in the faith, we're not to allow ourselves to be. Why? Because of the word and what the word says in Romans 8, 28. It's on your outlines if you don't know it. It says, and we know, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God has given us a promise that whether it's in this life or eternity, everything that happens to us is being used by God to do something good in us and for us. Whatever happens, however bad we mess up, God will offer us an angle where something good can be done, if we'll receive it. Everything that happens to us. Jacob had no idea that in the near future, he himself would make the journey to Egypt where he would come face to face with the beloved son that he thought was dead and lost. And not only that, but that son will be the ruler of the most powerful nation on earth. The Jews who in the Holocaust cried out, all these things are against me, ended up back in a brand new established nation of Israel after World War II, where they remain to this day. And you and I can trust that in all things, God is doing more than we can see. But not only is he doing more than we can see, he's doing good. He's doing good that we can't see. His word promises it. Do you remember how a few weeks ago we talked about how Jacob was given a a new name by God? His name was Israel. But we pointed out that whenever he acts like his old self rather than the new man that God has made him, the book of Genesis refers to him by his old name, Jacob, What's he called here as he says, all these things are against me? He's called Jacob. You and I are not to be like Jacob. Jacob looks at his circumstances, the old man, the one that didn't have the relationship with the Lord, that wasn't following the Lord. Jacob looks at his circumstances and says, all these things are against me. Israel the one who has the relationship with the Lord, who holds on to the promises of God. Israel looks at his circumstances and says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And that same Paul who wrote that wrote, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, listen, if the God who gave his only son to die because he loves us so much is for us, who can be against us? Don't you think he's gonna give us anything else that we need if he's already done that? Write this down. All believers have a promise from God that he is working something good in every circumstance of our lives. He's working something good in every circumstance of our lives. But much of the time we have to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? How can I be on board with what you're doing in my life? If he's testing your patience, you gotta actually respond to that call and grow in patience if you want to experience the good that God wants to do. If God is giving you a chance to grow your faith, you've got to say yes to his word and hold on to your faith so that that good can be done. God is always working good. But just like salvation, you have to choose to receive it. You have to choose to walk in it. But the option is always there. He's always got an angle to do good. Verse 37, Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. So Reuben says, let me take Benjamin, dad. I swear on the life of my two boys. I'll bring him back to you. But he, Jacob said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Oh, what about Simeon, dad? Well, things happen, things happen. And we'll continue this intriguing and gripping tale next Sunday. If you haven't given your life to Jesus sincerely, then maybe you're experiencing the Lord dealing roughly with you. Here's what you need to know. It's happening so that you'll come to a realization of how much you need him. It's so that you'll recognize you can't do this on your own. You can't save yourself. You can't heal yourself. You need Jesus and if that's where you're at I pray that you'll see your need for him and you'll give your life to him it'll change everything he'll change everything and if you've been choosing to live in sin in one or more areas of your life you may be experiencing the Lord dealing roughly with you here's what you need to know the Lord is calling you to repent He's disciplining you because you're his kid. He's trying to save you from pain, heartache, hurt, broken relationships, and a whole bunch of things that sin inevitably and unavoidably leads to. If that's where you're at, then repent. Repent and be healed. Have your relationship with the Lord restored today. And for all of us, we need to be reminded that as Joseph was with grain, Jesus is unlimited in his ability to meet our needs. He is unlimited. His grace is immeasurable. His resources are inexhaustible. I'll remind us of one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible from Hebrews 4. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Bible says that he'll supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus and his riches are without limit, without limit. Do you need peace? The Lord has it for you. Do you need joy? The Lord has it for you. Do you need strength? The Lord has it for you. Do you need comfort? The Lord has it for you, and he has it in abundance. If you have need, let me give you the same counsel that Jacob gave his boys. Stop looking to other people. Stop looking to other people. The only one who has what you need is Jesus. Go to Jesus that you might receive and live. With that, would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. And, and, and once again, thank you for the example of Joseph, a man who loved you and was led by you and led by your spirit, God. And thank you that in him we reminded that you have immeasurable resources to meet our needs. Father, help us not to look to other people for what can only truly be found in you. But thank you that you've made it available and you've said, come. If you're thirsty, come and drink. If you're hungry, come and eat. Come and receive what you need. Father, help us to do that, to confess our need, to turn to you for it that we might receive and live, God. Lord, if we're being treated roughly by you, because we're walking in sin, Lord. May we repent this very evening that we might be healed and restored and walk in the paths of life, Lord God. And then lastly, we just thank you so much, Father, that you're working good in every angle, even when it's completely our fault. And we're the ones who've blown it. We're the ones who've messed it up. There's still something good that you want to do. The moment we turn to you and say, Lord, help, help. So Father, help us to understand that the messes in our lives are not going to be fixed by us. They're going to be fixed by looking to you and following after you. The one who heals, the one who restores, the one who saves. So help us to look to you this evening. Father, we open our hearts to you and just invite you to speak to us, God. Would you just open your heart to God and just say, Lord, is there anything you wanna say to me, anything you wanna do in me, anything you're calling me to respond to? Listen to him. If you have need, just begin to confess it to him and ask him to fill you up. And I believe that he will, that his word promises he will.